0: Welcome to ADHD SOS. We've heard your call, and don't worry, help is on the way. This is the only podcast that combines mindset skills, cognitive psychology, and the motivational pep talks you need to beat procrastination and achieve peak performance. Join me, your host and fellow ADHDer, Tina L. As we journey from SOS to smooth sailing. Welcome back SOS squad. Today, today we are talking about how to finish what you start. Can I see a show of hands? How many of you have a graveyard? Of unfinished projects. Like, so many. So many. This is such a common thing for us ADHDers. And so in this episode, we are going to explore the real reasons why we don't finish what we start. And it's not what you think. It is not just your limited attention span. And then we're going to dig into these for game-changing tips that will actually help you across the finish line. Guys, I am psyched for this because I have always considered myself someone who's not a finisher, and I've changed that, and it's radical. It is life-changing. It changes the game completely. So let's start out by talking about what gets in the way. And I want to kick this off with one of my favorite quotes of all time from the late, great Joseph Campbell. He said, The cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. So finishing what we start, that's the cave that we fear to enter. So many of us fear that. But it's, it's actually so much more complicated than fear. If I think about all the reasons I don't finish what I start, There's always been a little mm, boredom in there, distraction, confusion, overwhelm, sometimes hopelessness. When it comes to finishing things, I noticed that there was always this whole pile of negative emotions in the way. I have literally hundreds of projects that I've started and never finished as a direct result of all of these negative emotions. Often I would console myself by calling the project dumb or, or justify in some way why this thing wasn't worth pursuing anymore. But the real truth is that not being a person who finished things was keeping me from the treasure. Remember, we have this cave that we fear to enter, but it holds the treasure. And that treasure is me sharing ideas with the world and getting feedback. The treasure is being able to help other people. The treasure is learning and advancing my skills. What's really become clear to me is that my inability to push past these negative emotions to get into the cave was based on four main misconceptions that I think a lot of you will relate to. The first misconception is that I thought following my passion should always mean that I feel good. Like, I feel excited. I feel motivated, confident. Not this gross feeling that I kept having. So, for example, as a kid, I always loved photography. I remember when I was 10, I loved to photograph, like, the texture of water. I loved to photograph the veins of leaves. I loved to photograph my cat's tongue when she was sleeping. But as I got older, I started to notice that as soon as I picked up my camera, I would not feel that great. I didn't realize it at the time, but looking back on it now, I can see that what I was feeling was the awkwardness of trying to get better at something. I also felt this anxiety and this pressure that if I was spending my time on something, it needed to be good, or I needed to be good at it. I needed something to show for myself, for the time that I was spending. At the time, what I thought was, well, maybe I don't love photography as much as I thought. I experienced this push and pull with photography for such a long time. I even went to photography school for my first few years of college. But I couldn't push past that not-good feeling, and eventually it just clouded out all of those initial feelings of joy and discovery That I originally had when I was photographing tiny bugs and specks on rocks. And to be honest, a lot of things that I've loved have gone that same way. I had the belief that when something was meant for me, I should always be excited to do it. I thought, like, I should feel inspired in my element, in the flow, and at ease But the truth is that when I'm getting better at something, pushing my boundaries, expanding my skill set, I feel really clumsy and kind of incompetent. (laughs) That's the truth. And I hate that gross, gross feeling of feeling clumsy and incompetent to be totally honest, I just felt like, you know, I experienced so much of that already in my life. Why should I have to experience it with something that is supposed to be my passion? Like, uh, I don't like a feeling like that. And so when it came to pushing through to the next level, I just wouldn't. I took those gross feelings to mean, this just isn't my passion. Like maybe I was wrong about this thing the whole time. This isn't me. This isn't this isn't for me. It took me so long to realize that it was normal for the things that I love to come with negative emotions and there's actually something that I could do about that. So the solution is to set expectations and in particular to expect And tolerate discomfort. For me, there's two main forms of discomfort. One is the discomfort of difficulty. Now I expect it to be hard, and then I expect my brain is going to offer me so many reasons to do something else instead. When I'm doing something challenging and beyond my current ability, I've learned not to expect to be in the zone. Not to expect to be in the flow. The flow state, which is the mental state identified by the psychologist Mihai Csikszentmihalyi in 1975, that is when you feel fully immersed in a feeling of energized focus, full involvement, and enjoyment in the process of the activity. Honestly, it is glorious. It feels amazing. But the truth is that by definition, when you're doing something that challenges you beyond your current skill set and you're figuring it out, you're unlikely to be in the flow state. That was such news to me. I did not realize. I thought it should feel different. It It should feel flowy. It should feel easy. It should feel joyful. What this means to me is that I give myself permission to practice more than other people. So many ADHDers, myself included, were slow processors, and it takes us longer than others to learn new things. So I give myself time for that, and I give myself patience as much as possible for that. I give myself permission to read the instructions five times over or more, whatever it takes. Being able to follow instructions is hard for so many of us. It's an executive function that we're low on. And then I give myself permission to get support when possible, when I need it. For example, a tutor or a trainer or even just an accountability partner. And then I cannot stress this enough, but I do all these things. I give myself this permission without judgment. I expect to struggle. I expect it. And I'm kind to myself when it happens. This is the practice. It's not always easy, but it's so important. And lastly, I just know that this is how my brain works. It's not a sign to do something different. It's not a sign to go after the new shiny thing. It's just, this is just how it is. And nothing has gone wrong. The second discomfort is when the novelty wears off. This is a tough one, you guys, because we love the novelty. That novelty is a, an amazing dopamine source. And with that, Our enthusiasm and our motivation won't always be consistent. When the project isn't shiny or new anymore, there's going to be less dopamine. That's just the fact of the matter. And, you know, the role of dopamine is that it not just makes us Feel good, it helps us stay focused. It helps us stay the course. It helps us to learn better and stick with problems for longer. That's such a challenge because now we have less of it. And so it's important that when the activity itself doesn't intrinsically give you dopamine, meaning like the activity just naturally doesn't feel fun and joyful, we need to make a practice of intentionally harvesting dopamine. And let me give you some really specific examples about how to harvest that dopamine. The first is to gamify. So give yourself points for reps or minutes practiced. Create rewards for certain amounts of points. And it's extra helpful if those rewards make doing the activity more fun. So let me give you an example. Like after a certain amount of workouts in a month, you get a new cute workout outfit. I love that. Or a new piece of equipment. So you not only get to play a game with a reward, but that reward helps fuel your excitement and the fun of doing the activity itself. Another way that I love to gamify is to race myself or race the clock, try to beat my own previous records. These are little ways to turn the thing into a game. And then I track the activity as much as I can, and I go for a streak. Any of these little ways to make things more fun, they're going to boost the dopamine you get from the activity. Another way to intentionally harvest dopamine is to sandwich the activity with others that are more inherently dopamine-producing. So the fun thing is that dopamine can transfer from one activity to another. So if you engage in a dopamine-producing activity and then you immediately follow it with a thing that produces less dopamine, that dopamine will carry over So, for example, maybe you play a video game right before you start the activity. Maybe you exercise. Maybe you eat a piece of chocolate. All of these are little ways to get that juicy, juicy dopamine flowing, and then you just ride the wave. You just (laughs) right into the next thing. And then the other part of the solution is... To know and expect that you're going to get a hit of dopamine from making the plan. But when you actually go to execute on the plan, it's going to feel terrible. (laughs) And nothing has gone wrong. We just know this. We just expect this. So, for example, I got a hit of dopamine when I decided to write a book. The plan was beautiful. I was so excited about it. But then when I sat down to start writing, I felt like vomiting. I felt like puking my brains out. My brain yelled, danger, because it's uncomfortable, and my brain is encouraging me to run away from that danger. This is normal. This is so normal, and it's not a problem. The problem happens when you listen to your brain. This instinct to want to run away and avoid, this is an Urge is a super strong desire to do anything besides the task. And every time you give in to an urge, you reward yourself from running away from that hard thing. This is why procrastination is actually addictive. Oh god. The urge to avoid, it just gets stronger and stronger. And so when we stop responding to the urge, we can expect something that is almost like a detox process. Like it's just, it's so uncomfortable. And we've been rewarding ourselves for avoiding this thing. And now we have to change up the game. We have to change up the reward system. So something that helps is that you tell the urge, like, I see you. I recognize that this is extremely uncomfortable, and we don't want to do this, and this feels dangerous. This feels unsafe, but I'm going to be here with you. I'm going to sit with this, and I'm not going to respond. I'm not going to respond to the urge to run away. I'm going to set a timer, and I'm going to do what I said I was going to do. Want to know an awesome ADHD hack? Become a follower of the show and new episodes will be served to you automatically when they become available. No need to remember to have to go looking for new episodes. Fresh survival strategies will be delivered straight to the homepage of your favorite player. On Spotify, click on the name of the show and click follow under the picture of me. And on Apple Podcasts, Click on the name of the show, click on the three dots on the right-hand side, and select follow. I can't wait for you to join the SOS squad. We can anticipate these obstacles. We can anticipate the urge to avoid, to run away, to procrastinate, and decide what we'll do when we encounter them. So we expect them and we plan for them. So I could have anticipated that when I picked up my camera, I was going to feel anxiety and dread and self-doubt. All of those things don't make it something not worth doing. They don't make it not my passion. They don't make it not something that could bring me joy in the future. And so I decide to start with a warm-up or a challenge that takes the pressure off me making something good. And instead, I get involved in a challenge. So I'm still engaging, but I'm not setting these incredibly high expectations. And I'm accepting the fact that this is going to feel a little uncomfortable for some time. So the second misconception is that I thought how an activity felt was just how it felt. I didn't realize that I could and needed to be taking an active role in creating the right conditions for me. I didn't realize that because I'm neurodivergent, I need things structured differently. And I'm in charge of creating my own right conditions, my own accommodations. Like in school, since fifth grade, I got extra time on tests and I got access to a quiet room. This is what my brain absolutely needed to have any shot at performing on that test. Part of me creating my own accommodations now is going out of my way to make something feel right and nice for my brain. So the solution here is let's make it nice for our brains. Here's how we do that. Let's talk about the example of me writing a book here. Every day I would wake up and have to do something that felt so challenging and in a lot of ways not great (laughs) felt not great and I let myself focus on whatever fun or distractions I could have throughout the day that meant I let myself off the hook from obligations like even small ones even things like responding to text messages and still, I gave myself plenty of time to watch funny YouTube videos or get into a good book. And importantly, I let myself have these little moments of fun or distraction with no judgment. I realized that in order to fill my tank with determination and with strong executive functioning, I needed to give myself these little bits of dopamine and... That's my goal here. My goal is I'm building up stores of dopamine, and that is what is going to fuel me to do this thing that is actually really hard. There is science behind this. As I've mentioned in the past, the preeminent ADHD researcher, Dr. Barkley, tells us that executive functioning is a limited resource in the brain, and it can be refueled in very specific ways, we can refuel our brains with immediate rewards, short breaks, relaxation or meditation, and physical exercise. Another way to refuel our executive functions is to visualize the payoff. What's that gold? What's the gold we're trying to find at the end of the rainbow? What will we be capable of when we finish? Like, what's the, what's the superpower we're going to get from this? What will be unlocked by finishing this thing? How will it feel? How will we feel when we cross the finish line? Oh my gosh, it feels amazing. It feels so good to finish. And how will it support you in the long run? How is this part of the bigger goal, the bigger vision that we have for ourselves? Another way to refuel our executive functions is to remember our why. It takes so much energy for us to sustain our attention on something challenging. So why are we doing it? Why is it worth it? We are so why-driven because this is hard. This is hard for us. So why is it worth doing? Why is it worth your very, very precious attention? Misconception number three is that I didn't realize how all the other obligations in my life were were affecting my ability to finish. All of these little things were draining my willpower and I didn't realize how much they had an effect on my ability to get the hard things done. Willpower is part of executive functioning. And as we know, the executive functions, they're like the CEO in your brain that directs your thoughts and actions. And they get spent down, as we said, Willpower is an executive function that runs out. <laughs> so now, when I'm trying to finish doing a hard thing, I create a tunnel visioned life. I guard my willpower like a hawk. When I was writing my book, I cut down on all my commitments. I told friends I was going to be occupied and not responsive for a while. I let myself eat easy access foods without being super portion controlled. I let the dishes pile up. I wore the same outfits. I let my hair just do whatever crazy thing it wanted to do. And I made my workouts easier. So all of these little things, all these little daily habits are good habits, but they do all require willpower. And so I let some things slide. I let things be easier. And honestly, this is hard to do. I love, I love the thought that I could do it all. I love a life full of variety and new and interesting things. But I realized that if I really wanted the result of finishing something challenging, I was going to have to constrain I was going to have to cut things out, even some of the things that I liked. So constraint is how I keep my willpower and overall executive functioning high so that when I do sit down to work for the day, that CEO in my brain is like ready and willing to lean into the challenge, to work with willingness and determination So just to be clear, I still am allowing all of those dopamine-producing activities. But anything that requires a little bit of willpower gets put on the back burner. At the end of the day, protecting willpower is all about constraint and what we can say no to or make easier. So the solution here is that we do less. We realize that constraint in the short term is what's going to help us do more in the long term. This constraint is how we keep our energy high so that we can stay the course with a thing that is really challenging, that can really drain us. And in that way, we have the stamina to actually cross the finish line. The fourth misconception is that I was not clear on what I needed to do to complete the project. Now, when I start a project, I get really very, very clear on what the minimum criteria is for calling that thing done. What do I need to produce in order to cross the finish line? For example, when I was writing a book, I decided that the minimum criteria was that the book was 120 pages. Now, mind you, I'm not talking 120 pages of solid gold. Absolutely not. No. I'm saying 120 pages of words that I wrote from my brain. These are not award-winning insights. This is far, far from perfect. But what I needed to do to cross the finish line was write 120 pages of words from my brain. And then I ask myself, who do I need to be to cross that finish line What daily behaviors are going to get me to 120 pages of words? I knew that it was not realistic for me to set a daily word count for my writing. Consistency? No. Overrated. Totally unnecessary. Some days I'm prolific and some days I'm not. And honestly, I feel like that is not something that is within my control. What is within my control is that I can show up with a pen in my hand, with my keyboard out, and I can put my hands on the keyboard and see what happens. Every weekday, I do everything within my ability to sit at my desk, open up my laptop, and put my hands on the keyboard. Importantly, I am not focused on the quality of the work or the result None of this is my business. None of this matters to my goal. I don't have control over that result. I have control over my ability to show up. What became so powerful for me in this process is that I really realized that a writer is not necessarily someone who writes well. A writer is not necessarily someone who writes books that get published. The very basic requirement of calling myself a writer is that I show up and write. So I take on the identity of a writer. When I hear myself getting caught up in the drama of, is this good enough? Or am I really going to actually finish this and get it published? I remind myself, I am a writer. What does a writer do? They write on the regular. That is it. That is all I need to be concerned with right now. And when I focus on the minimum requirement I set for myself, which is 120 pages, and the behavior that I needed, which is to show up and write, it helped me to put blinders on that part of my brain that is incessantly judging and incessantly concerned with the outcome of things. So the solution here is that we set minimum requirements for what. It takes to cross the finish line and then we determine the daily behaviors required to do that. The problem, when we think of ourselves as people who don't follow through, when we think of ourselves as people who don't finish, we end up taking on that identity and proving it true. In order to follow through, we need to take on the identity of someone who follows through. How would you feel and how would you act as a person who follows through? So, for example, that person, they plan ahead. They constrain the list. They constrain to what the minimum requirement is. And then they tolerate the discomfort in the moment when they have to execute on the thing and they don't bloody feel like it. That's what a person who follows through does. And of course, we can expect that along the way, there are going to be obstacles to manage. Obstacles like urges, interruptions, people wanting us to change our plan or do something else. And how would someone who follows through respond to those? How would someone who is going to cross the finish line deal with all of these things that get in our way? How would they do it? Let's ask ourselves the question and then actually have an answer because those obstacles are 100% guaranteed to show up. They will absolutely be there. And then what are we going to do? As a person who crosses the finish line, how are we going to handle that? And then what evidence do we have that we're already that person? We are already people who follow through. And I'm not talking about denying the reality that we have this graveyard of unfinished projects. We absolutely do. But at the same time, there are things that we have finished. We have followed through on some things. And the reason why it's important to identify those instances and to lean into that truth that it is possible for us is because thinking the thought, I never follow through, it defeats us. It makes us feel frustrated and hopeless. And then what do you do when you feel that way? Well, (laughs) I mean, if you're anything like me and you're feeling those feelings, you probably aren't going to follow through (laughs) because it sucks. It sucks to feel like that. And when we when we feel like that, we want to get away from those feelings. We want to hide. We want to avoid. We want to procrastinate. Feeling defeated, frustrated, and hopeless does not inspire action. For me, it makes me want to crawl into a hole and never try to do anything. So, yes, I have not finished so many things. So many, many things. But I have finished some things, and that is the part of me that I'm going to lean into. That is the truth that I'm going to identify with today. And even if your new thought is simply, there are times when I stick with things, that's enough to create a new emotion, like the emotion of determination, like willingness, like I got this. And that can motivate us to do the thing. And now it's time for the Rescue Recap. When it's sink or swim, remember these key takeaways. All right, my friends, let's break this down into a system that we can really remember and use. So there are four misconceptions and there are four solutions that it takes to be a person who crosses the finish line. Number one, I thought that following my passion should always mean that I feel good. But it turns out that often finishing, often doing the hard thing, it feels terrible. So the solution is to set expectations properly, set expectations that we are going to feel discomfort and decide to tolerate that feeling. When, we, when we're when we feeling discomfort, we're doing it right. There are two main types of discomfort that I'm talking about here. One is the discomfort of difficulty. So we don't expect to be in the flow all the time, and we give ourselves permission to support our ADHD brain however it needs, which maybe sometimes means that we need to take longer to learn something. Maybe it means we need to Read the instructions more times than others. Maybe it means we need extra support, like that of a tutor or trainer or an accountability partner. And then the second discomfort is that discomfort when the novelty wears off. We get so much dopamine when things are new. When they're not, we need to intentionally harvest dopamine in other ways. And in particular, I really love gamifying things, developing a point system, keeping a streak, giving ourselves rewards. These are all things that can help make that activity that is no longer intrinsically dopamine producing and make it extrinsically dopamine producing by turning it into a game. And then there's the dopamine sandwich. This is an awesome technique because we can do something that is dopamine producing right before the hard thing and that dopamine will carry over. And then we can have something to look forward to at the end, a reward. And we create this dopamine sandwich that helps us stay motivated and pull through the difficult times. And finally here, we remember that when we make the plan, That is going to feel so good. We are going to get so much dopamine from making the plan. And then when it comes to do the plan, that's going to feel terrible. It's going to feel awful. And when we know that, when we can expect that, we can know this is just how it is. Nothing has gone wrong and things are actually how they should be. The second misconception I had about what it takes to cross the finish line is that I didn't realize that I could and needed to take an active role in creating the right conditions for me. So I thought that the way an activity felt was just how it felt. And I didn't realize that just like I had accommodations in school to make things work properly for my brain and feel nice, I could do the same thing in my adult life. So the solution is that we make it nice for our brains. That means that we do those dopamine-producing activities. And that means we refuel our executive functions. We recognize that executive functioning is a limited resource in our brains and in all brains, actually. That means we take breaks when possible to refuel and re-energize ourselves. And this is not procrastination. This is so important that we allow ourselves to have fun and have joy and not feel like this is us avoiding the task. We visualize the payoff. What's the gold here? Why is this going to be so amazing? We lean into the amazing feeling that we can expect to have when we finish. And then we remember our why. Why is this worth our precious attention? Why is it worth all this energy? What's the benefit for us here? Why is this meaningful? The third misconception I had about what it takes to finish is that I didn't realize how all of the other little obligations were willpower drains All of these little bits of things in my life were affecting my ability to finish. The solution here is to constrain. Willpower is part of our executive functioning. That means it's already something that we're low on, and it's easily depleted. We have to protect it. So we can conserve our willpower by limiting the amount of difficult things or obligations that we have on our plate. We say no to things. What can we say no to so that we can consistently say yes to finishing what we start? And the fourth misconception I had was that it wasn't clear on the minimum requirements to complete the project. I didn't really know where the finish line was. I, I hadn't defined it. And so the solution here is to create minimum criteria. Decide what is good enough and then decide what are the behaviors that I need to meet the minimum criteria. What's it going to take? For my writing a book, it meant the minimum criteria is 120 pages and the daily behavior is is that I show up to my laptop and I put my hands on the keyboard. The rest I don't have control over, but that I do. As Joseph Campbell said, the cave we fear to enter holds the treasure that we seek. The cave we fear to enter is that finish line. It is finishing what we start, and it holds so much treasure. It holds so much potential and possibility for us. In order to pass through the threshold of that cave, we have to be able to tolerate negative emotions. We have to expect them, welcome them, let them be with us. As we push through the challenge, as we show up again and again and again, not always achieving exactly the outcome we want, not always feeling like superstars, But still, we're showing up, hands on the keyboard, ready to go. If you, SOS squad, have ever felt like you're not a finisher, I genuinely, genuinely hope that these tips will change the game for you and that there will be so much treasure. The world needs our treasure. And sometimes it's buried deep under the sea. Let's excavate it and bring it to the surface, let's cross that finish line, negative emotions in hand, and enjoy the glory of finishing, not as people who have done perfect work, not as people who have done perfectly consistent work, but as our messy, messy selves who are brave enough and vulnerable enough to share the treasure that we have. Know that crossing the threshold of that cave is harder for us than it is for most. And I am cheering for you. I am rooting for you. And we got this. Thank you so much for joining me. I love you. And I cannot wait to see y'all next time. Let's go. So best squad. We got this.